This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash checkthelocks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to Check the Locks Podcast. As always, I'm John Connor. I'm Olivia Cornu. Saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case. Before we get started, Olivia, as always, it's wonderful to see you. How has your week been? How are you doing? It's lovely to see you too, John. My week's been pretty good. How was your Easter? How was your trip to Michigan? It was good. Lots of fun and family and friends and just getting to see the kids run around and play together. I think we talked about it a little bit last week, but it was just nice to be able to see all of them run around and hang out. I know you had family coming in. How was uh, the family and everything like that? It was good. We ran our race. My nephew killed it, no pun intended, but he finished really fast in our uh, 10K that we did the day before Easter. Uh, Boiled some crawfish and uh, yeah, that was really about it. That sounds awesome. I'm glad that you guys had a good time. And I know, you know, like I said, we may have talked about Easter a little bit last week, but we did record some episodes ahead of time. So if you're like, wait, didn't they talk about this last week? That is why we were just trying to be ahead of the game. So, but I'm glad that you had a good time and hopefully everybody listening had a really good Easter and there were some funny uh, Easter memes and stuff like that in the Facebook group, which was really cool to see. So hope everybody had a good one. And this week it is your week. You're bringing the case. Talk to us a little bit about what we're jumping into. Yeah, so this week we're going to talk about kind of a weird story, and I don't know if you've heard of this or not, but I think it has some cool dynamics to it. Yeah, I was looking through the notes when you sent them over, and I am not familiar with it, but as I was going through the notes, I was like, oh, this is kind of juicy, so I'm excited to jump into it and get all the details. What do you say? Should we just go ahead and jump in? Yeah, let's get started. Awesome. In a rural community called Teleco Plains, Tennessee, which is just northeast of Chattanooga, lived best friends Katrina and Marie. Marie Strickland was born in 1972 in Teleco Plains, Tennessee. The two young women met back in kindergarten. As kids, the girls rode the school bus together and were even in the same fourth grade class. Marie was shy and Katrina was the more outgoing of the two. While enrolled at Teleco Plains High School, Marie started dating senior Ben Hatchett. After graduation, Katrina went off to college. Marie remained in Teleco Plains and married her high school sweetheart, Ben. The following year, Ben and Marie welcomed a little girl with Down syndrome. 
Because of this, Marie devoted the majority of her time to their daughter and giving Ben more time to develop a close friendship with a man named Michael Strickland. The two guys bonded over just about anything. A short time later, Katrina moved back to Teleco Plains. Katrina was introduced to Michael by Ben and Marie, and it was love at first sight. In December 1992, Michael and Katrina got married. Ben was his best man, while Marie and their daughter were in attendance. After almost a decade of marriage, Katrina and Michael welcomed a son, Jacob, in 2001. The couples remained close for over 10 years until shortly after Jacob Strickland was born. In the summer of 2001, Michael disclosed to Ben that he had been seeing another woman in Athens, Tennessee, the next town over. It was around this time that Katrina suspected that Michael had been lying to her. She called his work one day and found out that he had taken a vacation day and was not in the office. Katrina and her son Jacob moved out of the home, and the couple was divorced in April 2002. It's kind of heartbreaking, right? Because... Around the same time that Michael is like, hey, I'm seeing somebody else. Katrina is suspecting it. You know, and I think that speaks to a lot of the times like people think they're being slick, but their partners are like, I know something's going on. And especially if you just had a kid recently and stuff like that, I can imagine like that's a pretty hard blow to take. If you're like, oh, like I'm completely invested in this and you're off running around something like that, you know? Yeah. And I feel like that's the time where you would notice someone's absence when like taking care of your new child is like solely your responsibility. Like, I feel like that you'd be more inclined to get caught in that time frame. Yeah. You're like, I'm at home with a kid. It's a new baby. Like, what are you doing? And then I call like thinking you're at work and you're like, no, I took a vacation day. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. And they said that when he got back, he basically told her that he was out with the guys. So yeah, that's not a good look. A little while later in 2003, Ben and Marie divorced after 13 years of marriage. Katrina and Michael continued to stay in touch. Michael was a hands-on dad who enjoyed spending most days with Jacob. Now, Teleco Plains is a very small town with a population just over 900 people back in 2003. And it wasn't hard not to be seen by someone you know. While in town, Katrina saw her ex-husband Michael and her best friend Marie getting into a car together. She called Michael, but he did not answer. It was later confirmed that Marie and Michael had been dating. Later, Michael would move in with Marie and her daughter. Ben heard of this devastating news just three days after he and Marie separated. In 2007, Michael and Marie got married in secret, but Jacob told Katrina that his dad and her ex-best friend Marie tied the knot. This is just sad all around. You know what I mean? Like speaking from personal experience and you know, I know we try not to stray off into that very often, but speaking from personal experience, my parents were married and my dad ended up leaving my mom for one of her really good friends, you know, and years later now everything is fine. Like everybody is good and stuff like that. But at the time it was really messy and a lot of people felt really betrayed and stuff like that. So it's the kind of situation that can just be really painful for everyone involved. So as you were going through, I was like, Oh, this is hitting home a little bit. (laughs) So I hate that it's hitting home in that way, but I'm glad everything worked out with your family. Oh yeah. Everything's good now. I mean, this was like 20 years ago, you know what I mean? But yeah, at the time you're like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. Well, now years later on October 10th, 2013, Michael dropped his son Jacob off at Katrina's house. He drove away back towards his house. He shared with Marie the following afternoon around 1238 PM on October 11th, 2013, Marie Strickland made a horrifying 911 call. She shared with dispatchers that her husband was bleeding in their driveway. Deputy Clint Brookshire of Monroe County Sheriff's Office was first to arrive on the scene. He had been flagged down by a distraught Marie Strickland. Deputy Brookshire noticed a trail of blood coming from the garage to where Michael was laying lifeless in the driveway. It was then that Detective Turpin arrived on scene. While investigating, Turpin noticed a gunshot wound to Michael's neck. 
Detectives quickly tried to piece the crime scene together. It appeared that Michael had been working on a car in the garage. The vehicle had been lifted up and Michael was working underneath. Police believe he was shot inside the garage and walked out into the driveway. To investigators, this explained the trail of blood leading to the driveway and the splatter found inside the garage. Shockingly enough, a bullet fragment was found lodged inside of a tire of the vehicle Michael was working on. Detectives knew that they had to speak to the people closest to Michael Strickland, and they immediately started interviews in hopes of gathering clues as to who would want him dead. First on the list, Marie, Michael's wife. Marie was interviewed on the same day the murder took place. She appeared upset and cooperated with police. Marie initially told them that Michael came home sometime between 10 and 10.30 a.m. He had eaten, changed his clothes, and went out to the shop to work on a car. Marie claims she left around 20 minutes to noon to take her daughter to work. After she dropped her off, she stopped by the library before heading home. Once Marie arrived home, she began walking to the shop to see what Michael wanted for lunch. It was then that she saw him lying face down in the driveway surrounded by blood. At that point, Marie said she ran inside to call 911. She shared with police that she and Michael had had a happy relationship. Then the detectives looked at the next name on the list, Michael's ex-wife and mother of his son, Katrina. She told police that the only person she could think that would murder Michael would have been Marie's jealous ex-husband, Ben Hatchett. But Ben was cooperative with detectives. He was honest about how he felt about Michael and his ex-wife's relationship. He told police he had no involvement in his murder and was open to investigation. He shared with authorities that, quote, he wanted to see Michael dead, but Guy got to him first. Additionally, there was no physical evidence that suggested Ben had committed the murder, and his alibi checked out. Detectives then interviewed Michael's son, Jacob. See, to me, the first person I would have looked at would have been Ben Hatchett because I just found out that I separated from my wife and now my wife is leaving me for my best friend. That would be top of my list, which I guess usually it is like, you know, we look at the the wife or the spouse or the husband first. But as you were going through, that was my immediate like, oh, it's probably him. So now I'm really interested because I'm like, well, if it's not Ben, could it be Katrina? Could it be Marie? Could it be Jacob? Like there's so many players in the story and kind of, I don't want to say double crosses because I don't feel like that's what the intention was, but a lot of hurt people. You don't know until you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you don't really know everybody's feelings about the situation. Michael and Katrina had been divorced for some years, but Ben and Marie had just split up. Yeah. So it was very fresh to Ben. And that's why for me, I was like, if Kara were to leave me and then I found out three days later that she was moving with one of my best friends, I'd be like your best friend. Yeah. The couple you're always with, like that best friend. Yeah, I'd be extremely pissed off. So that's for me. I was like, oh, okay, like open and shut. Ben did it. But yeah, apparently alibi checked out. Everything's looking good. So I'm interested to see where this goes. Yeah. And Ben basically said like, yeah, I'm really upset about this. And like, I probably have said that I want to kill him, but I didn't do it. Investigate everything. I know that I'm innocent. I have these feelings. I'm telling you I have these feelings, but I didn't do it. Yeah, when he was like, I wanted to see Michael dead, but Guy got him first. I was like, yeah. that's some kind of some gangster stuff to say. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm like, you really got to know you're innocent to be like, yeah, I wanted this to happen, but wasn't me. I didn't do it. All right, I digress. I'm sorry. We can get back into it. Now, detectives decided to interview Michael's son, Jacob. At the time of his father's murder, Jacob was only 12 years old. He told police that Michael and Marie fought a lot and were having some serious problems. To detectives, this seemed suspicious. This completely contradicted the way Marie had painted her relationship with Michael to the police earlier in the investigation. At this point, detectives began to take a closer look into Marie Strickland. Time had passed and ballistic results finally arrived. 
It determined that the bullet found in the tire was in fact the bullet that killed Michael Strickland. A search warrant was obtained for Marie's phone records. It was then that police noticed a string of missing text messages between Marie and her brother Chris Smallin. Detectives were curious as to what these messages were about, so they decided to pay Chris a visit on December 10, 2013. Police asked Chris to see his phone and to their surprise found that he still had the entire text conversation on his phone. In these texts dated October 11th, Marie asked Chris, quote, how do I know if it's loaded right? Chris replied, put in the mag, pull back the slide, and you'll see the shell slide in. Keep your finger off the trigger. She said, okay, got it done, thanks. These text messages proved that Marie did in fact have a gun on the day of the murder. Chris told detectives that two weeks prior, Marie asked him for a gun for self-defense. According to Chris, Marie claimed that Michael was becoming violent towards her. It was then that Chris Smallin gave Marie a gun. Chris also told detectives that Marie came to his work at the library and handed him the 380 handgun in a plastic bag. He claimed that she told him that she wanted him to have the gun because she was not sure what would happen with it in her possession. Now at this point, detectives circled back and informed Marie about Chris's statement. Now being questioned for the second time, Marie changed her story. She told police that she had shot Michael, but it was in self-defense. Marie claimed that he had been physically abusive towards her. She told police that she kept the handgun in her car. On the day Michael was murdered, Marie shared that she and Michael went up to his shop and sat for a while. When she wanted to leave and go to the house, Michael got mad. They both stormed towards the house, but Michael turned and went back to the shop. Marie said she went to her car and got the gun and headed back towards Michael. There was no physical confrontation between Marie and Michael at the time. She said she did not know how it happened, but remembered running away from Michael and shooting back behind her. But she didn't think she had actually struck Michael. Then, according to Marie, she got in her car, drove to the library, and gave the gun to Chris. When she returned home, she saw Michael bleeding out in the driveway. Now, however, the forensic evidence from the crime scene didn't seem to fit the story Marie was telling. Ballistics suggested that the shooter was sitting in a chair while Michael was positioned under the car. It was from that chair that Michael was shot. He then stumbled out into the driveway before collapsing. And autopsy results proved that Michael died of a single gunshot wound to his right internal drugular vein. When Marie asked about Chris's involvement, she denied it, only that he got rid of the handgun. Chris confessed to throwing the handgun out in the Teleco River. Now, two months after the murder of Michael Strickland, Anita Marie Strickland was arrested on December 10th, 2013 and charged with first-degree murder. Chris Smallin was charged with accessory after the fact and destruction of evidence. He received a two-year probate sentence. And on June 5th, 2015, Marie Strickland accepted a plea deal. She pleaded guilty to second-degree murder of Michael Strickland. She was sentenced to 21 years and remains incarcerated at the West Tennessee State Penitentiary. Marie Strickland is scheduled to be released on December 31st, 2032, and she will be 60 years old at that time. So that's it, John. That's what I got this week. Man, 60 years old is not that old nowadays. No, my mom's 60. Yeah. I mean, she could get out and still have another 40 years in her. You know what I mean? So it's... Mm -hmm. It's crazy that you could do something like that and get out and have that much life left. Yeah. And the thing about it is, is they had no motive. They checked into like uh, Michael's financials to see if there was some sort of financial motive that they could find as to why Marie killed him. But like they really have no answers as to why she did this to him. Like he was her friend before he was her husband. 
Yeah. And it's weird because we talk about a lot of these cases, but it's just, there's some things that you just are never going to know. You want to know, you mm-hmm. want to know the why you want to know the reason somebody would do something so terrible and you just won't, you know, like, could it be that Michael Strickland was abusive? Possibly, you know, we don't know. I don't know if Katrina has ever said anything about their relationship prior to that. Katrina does basically talk about how if you're unhappy, you know, you just get a divorce. And Katrina and Michael were still very close because they were splitting custody of their son, Jacob. So they were around each other all the time. And she even recalled talking about how, you know, he was never she never said he was abusive, but she said, you know, he could get a temper. But basically nothing was bad in their marriage, you know, where he was physically abusive and had a history of that. Yeah, it's just interesting to think about, like, the dynamic, you know, what I mean, because if he was, you know, you wouldn't know that if you were just friends. That kind of thing doesn't come out until you're in that type of relationship. And also, like, who knows? You know, it could be that maybe he wasn't with Katrina, but something about the dynamic in their relationship, maybe they were, you know, abusive to each other. And again, it's like, you know, speculation, but you just don't know. And I think that's what it kind of highlights is just like, man, there's so much that you want to know for the reason why behind it. Mm -hmm. And you're just left scratching your head. You know, it's almost as bad as like an unsolved case. Yeah. She's like, well, I know who who's going away for it, but I still don't know why they did it. Yeah. And like she killed him. She obviously killed him. And then she just, you know, I feel like taking these plea deals. Yes, they're claiming that they're guilty, but I feel like they she's getting off a lot easier than she would have if, you know, she would have really been charged with the first degree murder of him. Like something made her get a gun two weeks prior, whether that was truly him being physically abusive or not. But she had those feelings and it was almost like it was premeditated. Well, I mean, if you're texting and asking about a gun weeks before it happens, like you've got something in mind. Yeah. And making sure that it's working on the day of the murders. Like that seems like premeditated murder to me. Yeah. You just never know what's going on behind closed doors. It's just a wild tale. And there's like I said, there's so many people involved, you know, and it doesn't seem like it's intentional betrayal, but people are going to be hurt. You know, and like how Katrina was immediately like, it's Ben. I know it's Ben. She probably assumed Ben was feeling the way that she was feeling. You know what I mean? Like, that's my best friend. Yeah. And it was real fresh on Ben. You know, she had been at, at least been divorced for a couple of years. But I think like there's this ruined so many people's lives. You know, the daughter that Marie and Ben had together, like she was the caretaker of their daughter who had Down syndrome. And then... Ben now is the sole provider for his daughter and she won't grow up with a mother. And then Michael is dead. Jacob will grow up without a father. And then Katrina, you know, lost someone that she loved at one point and is the father of her child. So there's just so many different dynamics to it that it's just sad. Yeah. And lost her best friend. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, this is a story where everybody loses. There's nobody, even if you came out with your life, like you're hurt in some way. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a rough one, you know? As we were going through, I just, not so much for Marie, but I just felt myself having a lot of sympathy for the other people involved in the story. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we're talking deadbolt tests, like I said, I've been thinking about it as we go through. I don't know if we want to just jump into it and, and talk about it, but I know for me, this is probably going to be pretty high. All right. Well, where are you rating it? I'm putting this, I'm going to put it at a seven. All right. I'm not worried about getting divorced. I'm not worried about, you know, Kara leaving me for my best friend or anything like that, but It's just the idea that a spouse could do this to somebody that they love, somebody that they're married to, they made a commitment to, they have a kid with. And then to know that like that could happen and people would never know why, you know what I mean? Like that's a scary thing. I could theoretically, I could do something that I have no idea that I've done and 
just like flip it, a switch in somebody's head to be like, okay, I'm going to kill this person. And I'm just walking around operating like, oh, just my eating lunch with my wife, sitting down, kicking it with my wife. And in her head, she's like, I'm about to yeah, kill. You got two more days, buddy. Mm-hmm. Like I'm counting down. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's the scary part to me. And like I said, I don't think I'm in any danger, but it is the idea of that, right? It's just the idea that somebody could do that to somebody else. So for me, I'm going to put this at a seven. What about you? Where are you falling? I think I'll go right about a seven too. I think that the psychological factor in this of Marie and how many people she hurt just by killing Michael. Like she could have just divorced Michael and moved on and everyone else's life would have been status quo, just how it should have been. But instead, like she just affected so many different people's lives. I wonder why she killed Michael. Like, why would you kill your husband? Like you've known him for probably almost 20 years at this point because you were friends with him before. But I think that the psychological aspect of it is what gets me. Yeah, it's all the betrayal. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's like we're together and then everybody's sleeping with everybody. And like the people you care about the most are the people you just like rip their hearts out. Yeah, it feels like the kind of thing that like a certain television network, I don't want to say their name, a certain television network would see the story and be like, oh, we're going to make a movie out of this. And it's going to be the movie of the week. It rhymes with Schmeif Schmeim. <laughs> so. I, I might have been on that network once in the blue moon. <laughs> That's why I don't want to say their name. I'm not trying to throw anybody on the bus. No, but it does. It does seem like a Lifetime movie. And in all fairness, I love Lifetime movies. <laughs> Those are some of my favorite ones to watch. So yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's dark and it's sad and it's just, you know, it's crazy to think that somebody could betray you in so many different ways and then it end up leading to you not having your life anymore. It's just, it's nuts. Well, that is where we fall on this week's Dead Bull Test. Olivia and I are both putting it at a seven. It is a rare, we are tied at a seven. But as always, we want to know, where does the murder of Michael Strickland fall on your Dead Bull Test? You can let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod. Find us on Twitter at Check the Locks. And if you're not in our Facebook group, what are you doing? Come hang out. Olivia, I know that you saw them. The memes that are in there are... Somebody has finally made check the locks memes and it makes me feel like we're a legit podcast now because there's check the lock (laughs) memes and it blew my mind. I was so happy to see them. What did you think of them? Uh, Some of these were really hilarious and I appreciate a good meme. Yeah, that is uh, crazy bug on Instagram. I did go ahead and put them on our Instagram page and I did tag him in those, but it was just so awesome to see those and it just made my day. And there's so many good people in the Facebook group. There are people joining every single day, finding the show. And it just, it's so awesome to feel this community just kind of keep growing. So if you're not in our Facebook group, come hang out with us. We would love to get to know you. We're in there interacting and spending time with people. We would love to do that with you. I love that they point out me running next to the train tracks and how you're like, yeah, every time she's there, she lets me know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then somebody commented and said, do you think she thinks you're the killer? I was like, no, (laughs) no. I like the one of you watching the internet beat me up for not eating foods that start with the letter P. I think that's one Mm -hmm. of my favorite ones. And I love this. I loved them all. The Chappelle show one. uh, It was really good too. So if you haven't checked them out again, you can see them on our Instagram at check the locks pod. Olivia, this is a sad story. I, uh, I feel a little cheated, (laughs) punny, uh, but I could use a five-star review. What do you think? You got one for me? I do. This week's five-star review comes from Mika plus 13. They said, I love this podcast. I enjoy that John and Olivia cover new stories that are not well known. Refreshing to not hear the same stories over again. I can really relate to the deadbolt test. Everyone should listen to check the locks. 
So thank you, Mika plus 13, for leaving us a five-star review. Let us know who you are so we can send you some cool Check the Locks merch. Yes, Mika, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know we talk about this a lot, but it seems like a small thing, but we have very busy lives, right? I have a, a kid, I have a wife, I have a job, I have a million things I have to do. And I know that that is the same for everyone who's listening. Olivia, I know it's the same for you. And so the fact that you took that couple minutes out of your busy day to sit down and write a few nice words for us definitely means the world. So we would love to send you some stuff. Again, reach out to us on Instagram, check the locks pod, find us on Twitter, check the locks. If you're in our Facebook group, you can reach out there and let us know. And if you're not a social person, head over to check the Click that email button, send us an email. We would love to get something out to you. And Olivia, if somebody wants to have their five-star review read on the podcast, what's the best way to do that? They need to hop on over to the Apple Podcast app, go to our show's homepage, scroll down where you see all five stars, click all five stars, and leave us a little comment and tell us what you think about Check the Locks. 100% what Olivia said. Head over to that Apple Podcast page, leave us that review. Again, guys, these reviews help us get into other shows' recommendations. They help us to grow our community, get in front of more listeners, and ultimately that is the goal, right? We want to reach as many people as we can. So if you have left us a review, thank you so much for doing that. And if you haven't, there is a link in the notes to this episode, little cheat code. Go in there, click that note, leave us a review. We would love to hear what you think. And maybe yours is the next one that's right on the podcast. And Olivia, I know that I had mentioned having people go over to checkthelockspod.com and send us an email, but there's also something else that people can do from that website. And you want to know something? We have a voicemail. Oh, we got a voicemail. Oh my gosh. Hi, John and Olivia. This is Kevin from Georgia. I'm a true crime podcast junkie that recently stumbled onto this, and I have been just shoving episodes in my chubby little cheeks like a greedy chipmunk. I can't get enough. Um, Every show is well presented, well researched. I love you guys as a report. You both come off as kind, intelligent, funny respectful people. One of the things I think that separates you from other podcasts is that you don't try to make the show about yourselves. You stick to the meat and potatoes and that's very refreshing. Anyway, thank you for all your hard work, all the time you put in. I'm going to go listen to another episode. Need more morbid deliciousness in my chip mic. So have a good one. Peaky whiskey. I got to go check my lock. Oh, Kevin from Georgia. I love it. I am chuckling the whole time. These little chubby chipmunk cheeks are just so happy. (laughs) Yeah, just shoving episodes into those little chipmunk cheeks is the funniest (laughs) thing I've heard in a long time. And I will tell you, I am pretty sure that Kevin is the meme master in our Facebook group. So we talked about all those memes, and I'm pretty sure that that's Kevin who's making them. So, Well, hey, Kevin can leave us memes, leave us voicemails, whatever he wants to do, as long as he refers our podcast to his friends. Yeah, Kevin, we really appreciate, you know, not only leaving the voicemail, but like as somebody who makes memes, because there's another podcast that I love that I find myself making little memes for all the time. I know that it takes time. So really appreciate you being invested and liking the show so much. It just, I don't know, it, it made my week when I got that voicemail. So really, really happy that you like it. And we would love to send you something as well. Uh, we got stickers, we got coasters, all sorts of stuff. So again, reach out to us on Instagram and check the locks pod. Find us on Twitter, check the locks. I'm pretty sure that you are 
in our Facebook group. So you can always message us there as well. Uh, but we would love to get you some stuff out. So thank you so much. I, we haven't had a voicemail in a while. And I was like, Olivia is going to be so excited. My my cheeks are so happy. And if you want to help support Check Locks, you want to help us keep the lights on, you can do so by becoming a patron. Head over to patreon.com forward slash check the locks. You can sign up today. We have a lot of great tiers, a lot of different benefits. We got exclusive t-shirts, coffee mugs, stickers, all sorts of stuff just for being a patron. So if you like what we do, you want to throw us a couple bones every month. That is the best way to do that. And if you cannot financially support Check the Locks, that definitely makes sense as well. Just listening to the show making memes, sharing it with your friends. Those things mean just as much, if not more. So if you have taken the time, you listen every week, you come hang out with us, you tell people about what we're doing, just know from the bottom of our hearts that means the world to us. Again, our goal is to get out in front of as many people as possible to grow our audience. So send a link, let a friend know. But if you're already doing that, we truly, truly appreciate it. That is it for this week's case, but please make sure that you are subscribed to Check the Locks in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. We will see you again next week with a brand new, truly terrifying true crime case. But until then, don't forget to check the locks. See you next week. Bye. Peacey weasey. Peacey weasey.